If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in. It's Friday, June 16th here on the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and I am joined once again by Matthew. We're live on the clock, Betts. This is accurate, <laughs> actually, both of us. Not together in the same draft or the same roster, but we were seeing, you know, on, on Underdog this morning, this is, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, the Puppy 2 was about to fill, and both of us were like, well, let's just hop in one real quick. Not We didn't talk about it either, by the way, people. This is how bad Borg and I are as far as uh, degeneracy. And then I remember like a half hour after the fact, I was like, ah, oh, shoot, we're supposed to record this podcast. <laughs> This is not good timing. So um, if Kyle seems a little distracted with hosting and trying to draft a team in the first 10 minutes of the show, uh, I apologize. You know, I am about to be on the clock here. It's a fast draft. So if you're listening to this and you're not drafting, well, I want to encourage you. Hop on Underdog, hop on DraftKings, wherever you're playing. But, you know, my team's looking pretty good. I do have Russell Wilson queued up. So any advice you want to give me in that regard? Uh, seek medical attention. <laughs> it's 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 getting bad. But at QB, you're 18, in on rust this year, aren't you? Yes. Why not? What 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 did he finish last year? Do you, do you remember? Uh, he was probably like QB twenty. No, no, it was higher than that. I QB think it was QB 18. like I think it was QB sixteen. It's like it's okay. not that not that much better. <laughs> but I'm in, especially if you get a stacking option that you get affordable ones. Whether it's Greg D. Marvin Mims or my boy Jerry Judy. So, you know, I queued up Russ and uh, he's my QB two, and I feel comfortable with that. What's and- funny is we actually spent a lot of time this week and uh, and me and Borg, everyone, this is our, our second show of the week. We're doing three total this week, just the two of us with Andy, Mike and Jason on vacation. I mean, Kyle is, you know, looking him over there on his high horse, king of the castle this week at, at, at Ballers HQ. But um, we are talking a lot this week about different things we did the footcast we're doing this show we did the dynasty show if you want a detailed breakdown of russell wilson and kind of why i understand kyle's point of view the dynasty show is for you on the broncos i i just think that there's a lot with sean payton there's a lot with just in general the offense the defense were super unlucky with injuries terrible with clock management so just breaking down that aspect beyond just sentiment and then looking at adps and see if they align 
it's a fun process. It's a fun part of the summer to not just galaxy brain, but piece together information from lots of different fronts. On this show, you and I are doing a best ball mailbag extravaganza. That's always the word I attach to mailbag. And I feel like it just gives people that extra umph of, I got to get in. I got to get my question in. So do you think there's at least one person out there? If I could reach one person, you know, that's the goal, right? That's the goal of every podcast in America is if I just get across to one more person, Kyle, I can make a difference here. You know, when you're on the clock and Adam Thielen's the next wide receiver, you question things. You you ask yourself, is this a good strategy? Um, that's not really where I want to go. Man, the, the, the wide receivers get rough. I just want to, I can live tilt as we're talking about this and saying, you know, if you load it up on running backs or if you got an early tight end, like I have Mark Andrews on this team, the pickings are slim when you go to the Nico Collins, Adam Thielen, Rasheed Rice's of the world. Gosh, I wish you were here. I wish you could tell me who to pick, Bets. Give yeah, me your well, rankings. I can't because we're trying to, you know, compete in the puppy too. But in all seriousness, in regards to that point, I have found the exact same thing that there feels like just this massive cliff of wide receiver talent, guys that you feel good about drafting, you know, at that spot. Um, you know, it's kind of like after pick 90 to 100, somewhere in that range, like the juju range. After that, it falls off on underdog specifically when you're looking at their ADP. So I don't know, man. It, it feels like a good year to wait on running back. I, and I love, you know, Austin Eckler. I love Saquon Barkley for obvious reasons. But when you take those guys and you're passing on wide receivers in rounds one through three, one through two, really, it gets super ugly in that range. So I'm with you. I've been I've been really hesitant to build my rosters where I'm forced to take my wide receiver, you know, three or four in that range. We try to make sure that our rankings stay updated, stay updated with ADP and to give you the opportunity that when you're drafting, you get to see the different roster constructions because, you know, like I have certain players that are ranked in a spot, but you don't have to take them there. Like I have Aaron Jones as the top 40 player, but in a draft I just did, like I can get him way later. Like I got him at 56. So it's not like I had to look at my rankings and just say, this is the only way that I'm going to draft. So those are all in the Ultimate Draft Kit. If you want to go to ultimatedraftkit.com in the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, we're updating those nonstop. And I wanted to start us off with a quick question. This is from Discord. Shout out to TD Weslow. He said, would it be possible for you to do an episode reviewing a recent draft you did, going through the process where you looked at stacking and specifically anything about week 17? So Betts and I finished our chow chow that we drafted together it was a slow draft and why don't you just kind of run through that roster bets and let us know you know and i'll give some things that i liked about it maybe some things you and i disagreed on but run through the roster real quick yeah for sure so we had a two qb build with herbert and russell wilson we actually did a four running back build because we had Brees, jk dobbins uh, alexander madison when he was still like you know in the 80s as far as adp and then Zach Charbonnet, wide receivers. We got uh, Steph Diggs, Amon Ross St. Brown, Mike Williams, Cortland Sutton, Jonathan Mingo, Van Jefferson, Marvin Mims, Darius Slayton, and Corey Davis. And then for tight end, we had three. We had the Muth, Sam Laporta, who I don't take a lot, but was a great uh, ADP value. And then Kate Otten in round 18. I talked you into Russell Wilson on this team, but Justin Herbert's there and I feel like you put this out to a lot of people. It's like make or break for you. If he has a bad year, you're your kids will have no future, and that's fine. But I talked to you into Russell Wilson, and I felt pretty good about it. 
Yeah, the the thought process with this team, I think, all along was when we ended up going with Brees, you know, in uh, in our third pick, we started wide receiver, wide receiver. So we're relying on Diggs and Amon Ra, you know, most weeks to be our our scores, and then as well Mike Williams with the stack with Justin Herbert. We were very in on the Chargers, obviously, and so it kind of made sense for us to say, look, week seventeen matters, but in this specific tournament it is not so large field. Like it's not the DraftKings Millie where it's a thousand people in week 17. It's not best all mania where it's like 450 or whatever. This is a smaller field tournament. It's still kind of large, but smaller field than those styles. And in week 17 specifically, and the advanced structure out of, you know, week uh, 15 through 17, it's not as difficult to get through. So we were more just kind of interested in letting ADP values, values fall to us, letting stacks fall to us, and, you know, we saw an opportunity with some of the Broncos there a little after ADP and it didn't hurt that it was week 17. Like it wasn't a specific target, but because it worked out ADP wise and the stack, we went for it. I would say I don't feel super comfortable with four running backs. You know, we have Brees, J.K. Dobbins, Madison, and Madison was before the news. We took a gamble on that and I feel really great. We'll have a question coming up in our mailbag about Alexander Madison and how we're handling it post Dalvin Cup cook getting cut but I feel like with our team we're saying with four running backs we have at least two to three studs that we think are going to be the main guys for their team and then Jack Zach Charbonnet we got as as ADP value I I don't know I feel I feel like actually like okay I get why we did it but it still feels really uncomfortable to only walk out with four running backs yes and this is kind of the tough part of I think the range of running backs that go like in pick 100 to like 115, you know, like the Charbonnets, the Brian Robinsons, Gibson, those kind of guys, like they're rising in ADP. And it's tough because when that happens, that range, all of a sudden, everyone wants those style, like they want their RB3 in that range. And I think we went into that range saying, look, look, if we can double tap here and get a couple of these guys, we'll be set at running back. And we don't have to chase these guys going much later that you know, are higher than they were in previous years. Like the Chuba Hubbards of the world and the Tank Bigsby's of the world, those ranges of ADP, meaning like, I don't know what they are, like RB40, RB45, whatever. They're going higher this year on underdog than they have been in previous years. So it's really scary to chase those guys. And so we just kind of let the board fall to us and it is what it is. But we did, you know, put in, I think, decent draft capital into running back. And we've always kind of talked about there's two approaches that you can take. You can draft fewer of them, but put a lot of draft capital into them. So we used, you know, uh, top 80 picks on three of these guys. Or you can punt it off and spend less draft capital on more running backs, but you don't kind of want to be in the middle. So we went with, you know, the former strategy. Obviously, it's a little bit of risk with Brees Hall coming off the injury, but we'll see how it works out. I will say the other thing, when it comes to week 17, I feel like we missed out on a couple. Um, And then also just looking at the way that we constructed things, uh, it's like we're pretty heavy on Chargers and, and Broncos. But I feel like on week 17, it wasn't the thing that I said on this roster, like I'm going to reach on these players. It was just a good you know value when we were able to find that and find that correlation. Like we have some good pieces. Like we took, you know, we, we took some guys late, but I don't know. Like I, I felt like at the end of the day, like we could have looked at more correlation here for week 17, but like, Kate Otten, our last pick, I just said, I want pure snaps. We could have taken somebody else, but I don't know. I feel like we didn't reach on week 17. 
No, definitely not. And we kind of have a couple minis too, like, you know, uh, a, a Seahawk and a Steeler. So we got the Muth and Zach Charbonnet. You know, we took a couple of those sort of uh, stacks for week 17, which I think is fine given the structure of this specific tournament. Yes. But this specifically would be a bad roster in like, you know, Best Ball Mania or the DK Million Maker or something like that. Yeah. And so just keep that in mind, whichever tournament you're playing in, if you're playing in just a 12 person, a six person, we're not going to lean into week 17. We're not going to go all the way there. But if you want, once again, our best ball rankings, best ball primer, they're updated in the ultimate draft kit. But this show is all about the mailbag. Mailbag. It's all about the mailbag and the live picks, right? That Those are the two, the two main things. And did I just take Marvin Mims? <laughs> to to correlate with my boy Russell Wilson, I did. <laughs> oh, Kyle, you need help. Yeah, I I just I feel pretty good about this team, and I'll maybe I'll post it later. So like, hey, this is my live team, and I feel really good because I'm only going to have two quarterbacks and two tight ends. So I'm just going to hammer away at these late late uh, wide receivers, and hopefully I get lightning in a bottle somewhere. But you know what's funny? <laughs> what <laughs> the way you said. I, I feel pretty good about this team means you hate your team. <laughs> okay. The way you said that is not the voice of someone who actually likes their team. I think I, I mean, I have Chris Olave. So I, I, I think that's what, what skews oh, some so of my view. lots of bias going on is what you're saying. Oh, there's tons of bias here. There, there's lots of bias in, in these picks and me saying, Oh, I'm not going to draft this player. Uh, it's interesting. I looked at some of our mailbag questions that we got and, uh, I'll start with this one because, um, I just noticed when I draft, I have this in mind every single time in the first few rounds. But this one's from Victoria Gavin on Twitter. She says, I can't wait for this mailbag. My question is, who are some consensus popular players in the first five rounds you have zero shares of so far in best ball drafts? And I'm going to give you some heavy names uh, because I, I'm I'm going to be honest. Like I have zero Devontae Adams right now. I have zero Travis Kelsey. So with Devontae, let me just ask you, is that Jimmy G related with the injury? It's Jimmy G related. It's it's also looking at the other wide receivers there and just playing the game of Devontae early on was a first round pick that everybody was taking and he's kind of slipped. So now what, like 15 or 16 in ADP? And so I, I just, I think that he's more of a mid second round pick. And so he's just, Going off the board at a place where my rankings are just don't align, um, I think that you're going to see a regression in his touchdowns and a regression in his deep touchdowns because he had an insane number of long touchdowns last year. So that's kind of the game I'm playing. But when you look at that one-two turn, I just like a lot of the other wide receivers better. Like, I, like give me a Mon Ra, I'll say that. I'm going to take CeeDee Lamb every single time over him. I'm going to take Garrett Wilson over him. So I just those are the guys that I end up taking ahead of him. Yeah, just to put some numbers to Devontae, because I was kind of looking at this too, like from a uh, medical perspective, I'm not necessarily worried about Jimmy G being healthy this season, unless something goes wrong between now and, you know, the start of training camp or whatever, as far as his rehab goes. But as it stands now, he should be healthy. But there's major issues with the fact that he's not with the team, right? He's not at OTAs participating. He's not at mini camp. He might miss training camp time. So like, this is a player changing teams as the quarterback, which is the most important position in sports, to gel with his offensive line, to gel with his receivers. So I get that concern with Jimmy G 
and the Raiders. I've kind of knocked them down a couple spots just to account for that risk of it. But, you know, from Devontae specifically, he led the league in both uh, targets and touchdowns from 20-plus yards out last year. And I know that Derek Carr, people have a lot of things to say about Derek Carr as far as the quality of quarterback he is. But when you look at EPA on deep passes, he's actually been pretty good. And one area where Jimmy G hasn't succeeded is the deep ball. He has been very efficient with YPA, yards per attempt. But that's Kyle Shanahan's offense, right? The Yak guys in San Francisco. So I am... I'm still in on Devontae as far as I will take him, but I agree with you. Like at the one-two turn, I have much, uh, I much prefer other guys. And I've talked about my Kelsey take on this show for a while. I've put out articles of just here's where I'm at with the cost. Who are some players that you just have zero shares of? Yeah, so this one I'm gonna cheat a little bit. I technically have a, a share or two of a couple of these guys because in the top sixty there are some some guys that I am lower on, but I will take a lot of them when they fall. I'm much lower on TJ Hawkinson this year. We've talked about him a little bit. I get what he did last year in Minnesota, but you know, looking at kind of the efficiency metrics, like 6.0 yards per target uh, compared to 9.1 yards per target when he was in Detroit is, is lower. He only had a couple of massive spike weeks that really made his end of year stretch seem like it was just so outlandish that you have to have him, you know, as tight end three or four in ADP. So he's a guy that I'm okay with. Like if he falls to me, if I already have uh, Justin Jefferson, maybe I'll snag him as part of a stack, but he's not a guy, guy I'm targeting. And just real quick with that, both those games that he just went uh, bonkers on where he had uh, incredible weeks, he played against the Giants. So it was the same defense that really struggled against tight ends last year. So I'm lower on Hawkinson. I'll also throw out I'm lower on Debo. Uh, it worked out last year being lower on Debo. I just kind of am lower on the Niners as a whole. We talked about them in the win totals episode with the quarterback concerns and quarterback issues. Um, and it seems like a revolving door there in San Francisco with who the guy is going to be as far as the talent and the player that scores the most points, whether it's Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Ayuk, someone's going to lose out there, and I'm not willing to spend a third-round pick on Debo. And then I'll also throw an honorable mention, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going way too high for the situation that he's in. I love the talent, but to me, Tyler Lockett should be going ahead of him. He's going to play in two wide receiver sets, whereas JSN, likely a slot-only guy. Next question's from I Got Worms on Discord, and just a shout-out to our Best Ball channel on Discord if you want to get a question answered there, I, I guarantee you somebody immediately will pop in, give some thoughts. I saw a conversation that went back and forth. They even in the middle of the conversation threw a couple jabs at my Falcons, which was awesome. Um, but that's the best play place if you want to get your questions answered. But from I Got Worms, any different strategy around bye weeks and best ball? And generally speaking, we usually talk about, you know, hey, you want your quarterbacks, you want your tight ends to have different bye weeks. And then early on, I don't really care about bye weeks at all. Like I, I honestly don't really look at bye weeks until I get to the double digit rounds, unless I'm double tapping quarterback. And Hayden Winks, just a shout out to underdogs, Hayden Winks had some data around bye weeks. Drafting two quarterbacks with the same bye week is obviously going to result in fewer points because you get a zero and a lower advance rate because almost 17% of best ball leagues are decided by 10 or fewer points, which is wild. Like wild to think that it's that close at the end of the week or end of the time, but two QBs with the same buy are going to be paired about three to 4% of the time compared to six to 7% for two QBs that have different bye weeks at the same ADP. So in a large field tournament, it's like a fun way to get different than everybody else. But I'm, I would say I'm not like, you know, for, for running backs and wide receivers, I'm just not thinking about it that much. 
Yeah, I, I think it's one thing that you maybe put in the back of your your mind is like, when I'm on the clock, I'm thinking about four or five different things, whether it's my stack, a week 17 bring back, how many players I have as far as how many running backs, how many wide receivers, stuff like that. You know, player takes and rankings. And then way, way, way down the list is bye weeks where it's like, okay, I already have, you know, five guys in my roster with week seven. Like I have two or three players here that I like. One of them is not week seven. Maybe I go with that guy this time. So that's kind of how I think about it. Uh, but I'm with you as far as the quarterback position it goes and tight end to a degree. If I'm only taking two, I certainly want to make sure that I don't have the same bye week. Just given, like you said, the advance rate is so narrow, the 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 room for error is so narrow to get out of your league into these tournaments. So I personally put a little bit more stock into it, I guess, than the data shows. But for the most part, it's not high on my list. I'm on the clock with my last pick in the 18th round. And Corey Davis is just staring me right in the face. When we talk about correlation, you know, that, that Jets... Browns week 17. I mean, there's nothing better than a 18th round Corey Davis pick, right? Oh, it's going to be great, dude. It's going to be like 38 degrees, uh, windy, lots of snow. It's going to be the game you need this year. <laughs> What's funny is like his little blurb. And I'm, I, I think we're all addicted to what, if there's a blurb about the player on underdog, you get to look at it. But his is his last one's from a month ago. He has the verbal support of the coach. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that feels really good when you click the button doesn't it <laughs> oh it, it 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 feels incredible let's take a quick break and we'll get back to the mailbag want to be more active this summer sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards tennis rackets to fishing tackle and if that doesn't float your boat we also have pool floats sierra let's get moving to your local store like now go when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I feel like now our attention is fully here after that hour-long break we just took during that drop. Yeah, no, I'm back. Okay. No, just so you guys know, we we pressed that that ad drop and then we're still right here. So we're not going anywhere. Uh first question right here after the after the break, huge break, is from Samuel White on Discord. When using the rankings, it is often I get to round five or six. And Pitts is staring me in the face. I'm too scared to take him. What is the case for Kyle Pitts? Um, pain and disappointment and sadness if you're a Falcons fan. But I think the best way is to rephrase this question. Instead of saying, what's the case for Kyle Pitts? I'm just asking this question. What does a round 5-6 tight end need to do to pay off? Because there's other tight ends that are in that section that I think are totally fine. Like if if you're just looking at on underdog, you know, right there, George Kittle's at pick 60, Pitts is at 68.9, Goddard's at 72. What is what does a tight end need to do? One, they need to beat their ADP. They need to like be better than, you know, tight end five or tight end six. So if you think that Kyle Pitts has it in his range of outcomes to be tight end two or three, go for it. And then you also need other tight ends to fail relative to their ADP. So if I'm taking Kyle Pitts there, I'm saying that one of Kelsey or Andrews 
I don't say they have to like be terrible, but I think they have to be bad relative to their ADP. Does that make sense? Yes. And, you know, last year, if you think about uh, the, the, the season Kelsey had and then kind of the season that these guys in this range were going last year, you know, specifically Kyle Pitts, like Dallas Goddard got injured. This and, and like uh, Mark Andrews had the end of season, you know, fall off with the Lamar issues as far as the injury. Those uh, tight ends in that range of like tight end two or three to like tight end eight sort of uh, range that last year largely failed relative to Kelsey. Kelsey was awesome. He was incredible. He was what you needed at tight end for a lot of uh, a lot of leagues, a lot of redraft leagues. You know, he was great in DFS, etc. But if that gap closes this year, let's say Kelsey is still tight end one, but he scores, you know, 10% less uh, fantasy points. And one or two of these guys in the Hawkinson, Pitts, Goddard range outperform their ADP. Kelsey will be less valuable to you at his ADP than these other guys will be. So it's all about just kind of taking things in context. So that's the case for these tight ends going in this range is Kelsey either fails or has a uh, a worse year than last year. And these guys have a better year. And I'll say the case from a team perspective is Desmond Ritter is better than a lot of people think. They throw more than they did last year. And we saw him have a historic rookie tight end season. So that's the case for him. Um, But I get the concerns too, right? Like chances are this is still a very, very run heavy team. And that's going to definitely, I think, cap the ceiling for one of or both London and Pitts. The hardest part is just looking at pure touchdowns, right? Like (laughs) one touchdown is rookie year you're looking at a player that like, well, I don't know, let's say his, his ceiling, his ceiling feels like it's like six or seven touchdowns. And that's really hard to justify. Yeah, it kind of is. I know. It kind of is. But I guess, I guess I'm kind of taking it more from a game theory perspective, more than a, like a Kyle Pitts take perspective when I look in this range. Cause there's, I think there's advantages and disadvantages to taking elite tight end this year. One advantage is that it seems like the consensus right now is that, oh, these round 17, round 18 tight ends, they're so great. You can just tack on three of them and like you're fine. But also I understand that point, right? So like that's the downside of taking someone like a Kyle Pitts in this range. And we talked about the wide receiver issues with the ADP. If you pass on wide receiver here or your RB2 or RB3, like you're forced to take Michael Thomas or... I don't know, Juju as like your wide receiver four or something. And that feels really scary. So I, I, I do understand it. Yes. Yes. There's an opportunity cost. We always talk about that. Looking at my exposures right now uh, for Kyle Pitts among tight ends. I think he's like my eighth or ninth. So I'm not like, I feel like I'm going to end up basically where the market is on Kyle Pitts. I'm not trying to make a hard stance, but just, you know, checking in right now, June 16th. If you're like, Hey, where's Kyle's tight end exposure rates at? That's what the people want. I mean, number one, you got to guess bets. Who's my number one tight end in exposure? Uh, it's it's got to be Chig. It's Chig. It's Chig. And then up there is the Muth, who I think you and I are both high on. Mark Andrews is in my top three because I take him a lot. Isaiah Likely is also somebody that if I'm going to tack on somebody at the end and I don't have Mark Andrews, I like Isaiah Likely for tournaments. Uh, Evan Ingram, uh, David Njoku, uh, Kate Otten is another late late guy. So, um, yeah. I, I I wish I could say more and say, yes, you need to go all in. But it's also something where he could be just as good. He could hit his ADP. He could be fine in redraft leagues and in best ball not be like a, a league winning pick. So 
keep all of that in mind. Next question from Brian Adams. I know I have some questions, but you guys do such a thorough job covering all aspects of drafting best ball. I guess my one question is, how can I help best ball or how can I help grow best ball and get people into it? Sometimes I have trouble explaining the difference uh, in my redraft or keeper leagues. Yeah, so this one actually uh, is a good question because I think it is something that if uh, a lot of people, you know, in the Twitter bubble, like if you're really into fantasy football, if you're listening to podcasts in March, April, May, like you are the sickos, right? And that's not a lot of people in America or across the world. So getting people into best ball over the course of the summer, I think is tougher than it might seem if you're on Twitter where everyone's into it. If you're just talking about like your home league buddies or, you know, at work or whatever, like I always, when I, before I did this and before I was into best ball so much, my best buddies from college, we do a dynasty league and every year someone would be like, well, we should also add a redraft league on, or we should add this league on. But it takes away from the aspect of the dynasty league. Cause like that is so important to us. But if you're having to manage other leagues, it takes away, but we kind of framed it to each other. Like, Hey, we could do a best ball draft. Like we could just draft a team, draft a couple teams. And then no one thinks about it for four or five months, but it's an, another way to kind of build uh, camaraderie with your, your league mates, gives you more exposure to different players. And like I said, the best part of fantasy is drafting with best ball. You can explain it to people. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I think people that are more casual know about mock drafting and they may do that in August, September. So just explain it as another form of mock drafting and that you get to put a little money on. And I will be honest, I don't think it's the best investment of money for a lot of people. Like, especially if you're not doing a lot of volume or you don't get the game theory or the roster construction. I did one with a friend where he got an underdog. We hopped in a draft and, you know, he ended up with like, you know, four quarterbacks and, it was just like, oh, he flushes money down the toilet. But he got used to the platforms. He got used to what was going on. But I think Betts is right. Like You're just showing people that this is a way to integrate what you're already doing. That's the scary part about Dynasty Leagues for a lot of people. It's like, oh, I don't want to add on something else. It's like, hey, this actually can go in conjunction with what you're already doing uh, if people want to look at it that way. But uh, I think it is growing. And I will say that Underdog's done a great job of making it more user-friendly. Like, the site's just really clean. That's why we talk about it. It's why they've been a sponsor. Uh, so, yeah, I think overall it's going to continue to grow. But remind yourself of what fantasy football world is in the summer. And for our company, it's really clear. Like, once we get to August, September, we're it's a different animal. We're talking to a different audience. And that's okay. We like everybody else that's going to come in, right? For sure. I, I love the calendar year. Like, you know, you and I, with our show specifically, have the diehards that are into betting, uh, you know, talking about the NFL draft and team previews and win totals, award markets. That's not a lot of America, right? Like, that's not that's not a lot of people that are into fa the fantasy space. It's the diehards. And then, like, over the course of the summer, you get a little trickle in where you still have the diehards, but then you get people that are kind of like, okay, I've got a draft coming up, you know, at the end of August. I should probably start researching and then in August, it is mostly your casual friends and family redraft league type of people that finally kind of enter the scene. So I love the calendar year for that reason. Yeah. And I, this is just my little shtick of just seeing questions and stuff is I just see people all the time. It's like, oh, redraft that home leagues. That's so old school now. Like, oh, one quarterback, you know, it's like people are playing fantasy football. If they're enjoying it, that's all I care about. My, my son, he knows a very, very 
elementary version of a lot of games. You know, his idea of two square and four square, like that's the game he likes. His idea of, I've kind of introduced to him what Catan is. And it's a very like simple version of the board game. There's much more complicated versions and there's deeper versions, but the the game itself is fun. And that's kind of like what you're trying to introduce with best ball. Like it's the game you like, and here's a way to play it. And if someone's not into it, that's it's okay. But uh, yeah, the summer, it just fits so well with the calendar year and the summer of best ball. I mean, what could be better than enjoying a drink uh, on the front porch? Cause that's what I've been doing. Oh, it's, it's the best man. And for listeners out there, Kyle and I both just uh, moved. I was sitting out there yesterday on my deck, which was, you know, just an incredible experience. And I was like, man, what a time to pull up my phone, see if I'm on the clock. I was in a couple uh puppy slow drafts. So yes, it, I, I agree. It pairs perfectly with summer. Yeah. And I've kind of just, I'll throw this in there. We'll do it on the mention on the foot cast. I've kind of not mentioned about me moving at all, just because uh, we had a, a something in the family that happened and somebody passed away. So we moved back east, back to Atlanta. So I'm back in the hot Atlanta uh, to help out with some family in the season. Andy, Mike, and Jason have been super gracious, super, super awesome about it. Uh, I get to do everything in my job. I uh, still get to be in on every single show, produce everything. Super fun. It's just a different season. So uh, shout out to the whole team, really, like this transition and uh, to help our family has been awesome. And Betts and I, we, we joke about this all the time. Like Betts and I are basically in the same season of life where we're dads with young kids. We're homeowners. You know, we both just, you know, changed houses and, and get to do all that. But the most important thing, and people need to realize, is that we have a lot invested in Justin Herbert this year. <laughs> a lot. Perhaps too much. <laughs> That's where we're at in the season. Next questions from... KF Kenny underscore 32 on discord he says, I've noticed one of your player takes since releasing the best ball rankings has been Madison considerably ahead of ADP. And I just, you know, I just want to tell the people, here we go. That's, that's just what we do. That's, that's what we did. We've had him ahead of ADP and that's the way to toot. I don't, I don't want to use a toot horn. I want to use that drop every single time. Here we go. <laughs> Which, is, Which is the Borg special. Right as we intro a podcast, Kyle, bef- before we even hit the button, loves to just say, hit it, please, Kyle, for the people. Here we go. That there was actually is. me. That's me. Um, That's yeah, every we, show. We had Madison ahead of ADP. It was a gamble on our part. But uh, the question, I think, is a really good point for when things change over the summer. So he said, while your ranking is still higher than current ADP, Madison has jumped throughout the offseason since the Cook News. As a result, in tournaments, there will be a lot of teams who took Madison as a better value, a value before Cook. So how are you balancing your player take for Madison and his ADP? So just to give you reference, our current best ball rank is RB18, which is hot. He's going as a running back 20 on underdog. And for a while, he was going as running back 28, 30 for a long time. And you and I have been ahead of ADP and we're still ahead of ADP. So how are you handling this news knowing that we were loading up on Madison early? He's my highest exposure running back. And how should we respond now through the rest of the summer? Yeah, so this is uh, a good, I think, reminder that there is somewhat of a big edge in best ball, especially this is why you draft early, is to understand, you know, if you are drafting best ball teams in May, like, you're a good fantasy player. Like, like that's that's who you are. You're not just a casual 
and understanding the news market of what could happen and what's likely to happen helps you get ahead of these movements. You know, for example, Alexander Madison, Dalvin Cook, the writing was on the wall that it was very, very, very likely to happen. So we made a bet in our rankings and a bet with our exposure to say, look, Madison might be a terrible pick once he gets to an ADP of 48, but he's a very incredible pick when he's at 90. Or, you know, when we when I put out that article, players to draft for closing line value, he was at 103. No like, way. That's where he was way back when. So, you know, taking a player at 103 is a much different bet than taking a player at 48 or 50 or wherever he's going to close. So if you've already gotten the best of it, I'm going to be backing off of Alexander Madison, specifically in contests that have been open for a long time. DraftKings Millie, uh, Best Ball Mania, stuff like that, because... That is a big snapshot of the entire summer for ADP and markets. But, you know, Underdog is going to release new contests over the next month. The Puppy 3, whoever, who knows what else. That is its own market, right? Because you couldn't get Madison at pick 100 or pick 90 in that contest. So if you still like Madison and he's going around pick 60 or, you know, whatever when that opens, I think he's still an okay pick. But if you've been in these contests that have been open for a while, I would be backing off Madison at his current ADP and where it's going to go. Yeah, his ADP as of recording is about 65th overall. We have him inside our top 50 picks right now, which is pretty hot. And in a 12-person league, go for it. You're like you're not obviously you're not playing against, you know, some other, you know, ADP Madison. You're not playing against a variant version. You're just betting against your league. And so, I look at this tier, maybe that's a better way to open up this conversation more is this tier of running backs you and I are pretty high on you know once you get to the fourth round so Najee Harris right now his ADP is 37th overall so that's the start of the fourth round you have Najee Harris ETN Jameer Gibbs Kenneth Walker Joe Mixon Aaron Jones JK Dobbins Miles Sanders Alexander Madison I would be totally fine leaving a draft if I went wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver or two wide receivers an elite quarterback stack or two wide receivers and Mark Andrews. And then I could basically get two of these running backs in the next couple of rounds and feel totally fine with my first two running backs. So it's more of we're high on Madison, but we're high on this whole tier. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and, you know, like at one point, at some point this summer, Madison will be a bad pick, in my opinion, based off of where he's likely to go. Like right now, the hype is just out of control. And if he gets to a range where there's, really good wide receivers, really good tight ends, incredible quarterbacks, I'm probably passing on Alexander Madison, right? It's just a matter of kind of where he's going, opportunity cost, um, and kind of getting ahead of the markets. But one thing I was thinking of, Kyle, when I was talking, is there another situation that we don't have news on yet that you could see playing out where you might want to be either ahead or uh, ahead of market or maybe just fade a certain player or, or group of players with pending news? I mean, DeAndre Hopkins right now is wide receiver 20, and I've been mostly off because I can't, like if it's New England, okay, it's hard for me to see that offense and see him in a way he can get peppered with targets, but I've just been so down on them in general. I know there's like the Bill O'Brien connection that you can give, but I don't know, like that's one of those players where I think he's just appropriately valued right now. Yeah, I and actually to speak to the D-Hop stuff, and hopefully news doesn't break before this comes out. Because that would be bad for uh, for this content, but um, I do think New England is the front runner to land DeAndre Hopkins, and if that happens, I mean Tyquan Thornton's ADP is going to look super wacky. He's going to drop 
Juju is going to fall. And by the way, both those guys are missing time in minicamp. Like Juju is coming off injury. Taekwon Thornton's dealing with a soft tissue injury. I think it's a hamstring. So I would be really hesitant right now to click the button on uh, Juju and Taekwon personally. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the other situations. Like there's some running back situations that I think there's a veterans that are going to be added. So we just got to keep that in mind. Like if Zeke or your boy Fat Lynn joins the team, like we got to adjust a little bit if Dalvin Cook does. So as of this recording, we are completely oblivious to any signing that you know, and that's okay. We're living in the past. You are living in the future. That's totally fine. Next question from Yanni on Discord. Do you ever throw in a fast draft and find that it goes very differently than slow drafts? Fast draft I just did had Bijan go in the second and Josh Allen in the third. So any thoughts on just fast versus slow draft? And this can be more anecdotal. Yeah, I think you will see a little bit more uh, reaching or just kind of like sometimes best ball mistakes, you know, whether it's like taking four quarterbacks or taking like three elite tight ends, you know, like we, we know that's not good for your advance rate. You'll see more of that silly stuff in lower stakes contests and in fast drafts What I, from what I've seen. And part of it is, you know, some people start a draft and then all of a sudden they got to go help their kid or something or you know i'm trying to think of what happens to me or uh you have to go do something or take care of something or you're doing it at work and you have to go help you know work you have a task that comes up that you have to kind of step away and and you get auto drafted or something like that sort of stuff happens whereas in slow drafts i feel like you know you can digest the information you can take your time make sure you're making the good pick so anecdotally i have seen more mistakes in fast drafts uh i used to be almost strictly team fast draft but life's changed, man. I mean, like you said, now <laughs> with kids and uh, the move and just all that stuff, like I don't have five hours at night to just sit down and knock out, you know, a couple fast drafts. Like I'm helping with them with bedtime and, and, and I want to be there, you know, for all the dinners and stuff. So I have been more on team slow draft this summer, which uh, is sad to say. Yeah. Same with me. I've been on team slow drafts. I feel like I've been on slow draft for a long time uh, because of, you know, my kids, I've been around kids a little bit longer uh, moving has definitely caused that. I topped in as many Puppy 2 slow drafts as they would let me. And I was actually on the platform when they changed it today when they were like, hey, we cannot do any more slow drafts. So they changed it to only fast drafts for Puppy 2 at the very end because I was just like, I'm going to keep loading up at the very, very end. So, you know, right here at the end, I think I got like six or seven Puppy 2 slows that are just just chilling there. And that's totally fine. I kind of like that, by the way. As a, a little bit of a game theory strategy, I don't yeah. think people talk about that in the best ball space. If if there is a contest that is going to close in like two to three days, you know, it's at 95% filled or whatever. I think hopping in a decent amount of slow drafts at that time is a very good strategy because the, the contest will close. There's no more entrance happening or go, getting in there. And you're going to be drafting in its own ecosystem. Like if there's news that breaks over the next three, four weeks, like these these slow drafts take a couple weeks to actually complete you could get some really good information that no one else in that contest has. So I do kind of like that as a, as a strategy. Yeah. I feel cool. Like, I feel like I'm one of the cool kids that showed you up are, late. Kyle. You are, you know, that kid that showed up late to class. And it's just like, I, it's because who I am, this is just what I do. And Dude, right, you strike me as the kind of guy that would be early for class every single time. Heck yeah. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to, <laughs> I want to talk. I want to actually, Oh man. At the end of high school, it was very clear what I spent my time in is I had a notebook and it was just, it was dedicated to sports statistics. And every single day I just sit in the back and just write. So I found my old journals of like 
every single MLB team's lineup and here's what I would do if I was the GM. Instead, That's now funny. I get to talk to you on a mic. So it's kind of the same thing. Is what <laughs> it's I would basically do. the same thing. <laughs> I know. Uh, next question from Dirty Rednecks on Discord. What is the tier to go with a three-quarterback build? And I thought of this question as, who's the last quarterback I feel comfortable with in a two-quarterback build? And that's just Sean Watson for me. I don't know if you feel the exact same, but I feel fine if I'm in a draft and Deshaun Watson right now in underdogs going as the QB nine, uh, 84th overall. So I feel fine to do a two quarterback build with, with Watson. Cause I think he can finish the year. I don't know, top five, six, somewhere in that range. Yeah. I think Watson makes sense. I'll even take it just a little further. I'd be comfortable with a two QB build with Anthony Richardson and I'm a little lower on the Colts stacking partners and everything because of what we talked about with the rushing and rookie quarterbacks and all that. But if you are taking Anthony Richardson, especially in a tournament, you are taking him to give you an outlier elite season where he finishes, you know, kind of like RG three as a rookie, like quarterback two, quarterback three. And if that happens, you're taking on extra roster spots for three quarterbacks that you don't need, right? Like you're making a bet. And if you bet on Anthony Richardson, you're betting as if you're right. So I'm okay in that situation to go with a two QB build. But I agree with you. Once you get into like the Dak, Kirk Cousins, Daniel Jones tier, I think it's time to start thinking about three. Anthony Richardson is weird because his ADP has gone all over the map from like steamed up early on to I feel like everybody pumped the brakes like, okay, I can't take him like, you know, that early. And now he's sitting there at QB 10, you know, almost 100th overall where it's like, okay, that's I, that's a fair price. So I've been, I've been all over the map, but yeah, Watson's the last one. And then from there, if I don't have one of those top nine quarterbacks and I waited, then I'm going to do three quarterbacks. I do have a team where I did Gino and Russ. What could go wrong? Um, where it's just two quarterbacks, but I also got to triple stack them. So I felt like I like leaned all in on that team in a tournament and just said, okay, Seattle offense, Denver offense. Uh, I feel like I'm different than a lot of other people to get that much value on that team. So next question from the dynasty PT on Twitter thoughts on going for elite wide receivers early and then heavy on the new running back dead zone with guys like James Connor, David Montgomery range backup running backs that are just an injury away. I think that's generally speaking where we've been. And I think a lot of people, wide receivers are being pushed up. We've talked about that, but the value of these running backs later on, we mentioned earlier that tier that we really like immediately after RB 20. I hate this next tier of Damian Pierce. Cause obviously I'm contractually obligated to hate him forever. Deandre Swift, Cam Akers, Dalvin cook, Isaiah Pacheco, Rashad white. I hate that tier. Like I'll take one every once in a while, but I don't like that. But then the next tier is like the James Connor and Dave Montgomery, who you've been banging the drum for. So it's it's interesting because like there's waves of running backs. And I think Montgomery is one of those players that you and I will end up on a lot of our teams. I just took him in that fast draft as my RB3. And I'm finishing an article called Best Ball Arbitrage. And I think that Dave Montgomery can give you about 80-ish percent production of Jonathan Taylor this year. Yes, uh, very in on Dave Montgomery. We talked a lot about him over the course of the summer so far. Uh, I think he's right now number three for me in exposure. I'll be definitely over the field. Um, but that range specifically is kind of a range that I think I'm trying to avoid outside of Montgomery. Like 
I look at this range, you know, let's talk about the guys like Pacheco. Man, on a touchdown only site, the Chiefs, when they get inside the 20 yard line, the 10 yard line, they lead the league in pass attempts every year. I don't think that's going to change with Pat Mahomes there, right? So, like, you need Pacheco to take over some of the receiving role and get Jarek McKinnon out of there for this to make sense. So, he feels like a classic risky dead zone pick. Rashad White and James Conner are the definition of the old RB dead zone, right? Guys that are the starters, you don't see a lot of competition, but the team looks bad. And that's where you get, that's where these guys used to get pushed up. You know, think about Mike Davis on the Falcons a few years ago. It was like, oh, he's the dude. No competition, but the Falcons weren't going to be very good, right? That that's James Conner. <laughs> that's Rashad White this year. So I'm I'm not necessarily into the strategy of using these guys. I kind of am trying to go uh, a wide receiver or two early, getting one of those round three to four running backs at least. You know, kind of like the the Jacobs, Hall, Najee, Etienne, Gibbs range, and then trying to just kind of take these guys going as like the Charbonnets, the AJ Dillon, Samaji P Ryan. That's kind of where I more feel more comfortable dipping my toes personally. Next question. Who are the toughest quarterbacks to stack this year, likely due to their correlated teammates' ADPs being bunched together or them being popular one-off targets? I mean, Mahomes and Kelsey, you got to use your first two picks. Maybe you get super lucky and Mahomes shows up in the third, but that's to me, like I, like I said, I, that's my theory this year and I hate using my first two picks on that. I think Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown are just on opposite sides of the board. So it's like really hard because A.J. Brown is going to end up being a late first, maybe gets into second round, and then Hurts' ADP is at the 2-3 turn. So you either have to massively reach on Jalen Hurts early on and somebody's not stacking with Devonta Smith or he makes his way back. So I feel like that pairing I haven't seen very much. Yeah, and it's tough this year because uh, as years go by, you know, markets get more efficient. So now that there's more data and everyone knows it's so important, not only to stack, but also to stack week 17, like the Bengals chief stuff is very hard to get, especially if, uh, you know, if you take Kelsey, then you take Mahomes. like you're not getting Jamar chase. Uh, you're probably not going to get, you know, T Higgins, or if you are, you're having to force it. Right. So like, I think this year is almost a good reminder to question what the market is doing and not just blindly follow it. Like, I love Devonta Smith. Man, he's going really early, dude. Like, yes. the wide receiver 13. I, I think there's a chance that those ADPs are wrong this year. A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. And it's not because they're bad picks. Like, they're great players. We saw what they could do. But the conversation's so different, right? Last year, Devonta Smith was like a 6th, 7th round pick. Jalen Hurts was in round 6. So, it's just such it's, it's just different. And I think that that's really tough to get that pairing. If you want an Eagles double with those three guys, it's almost impossible to do. Yeah, I wrote this up in our best ball primer just to give you guys some some uh, numbers with this. I said, you can't poke holes in the Eagles offense. After they crushed, they ranked number one in EPA per rush attempt, third in total yards. But when you compare it to their best ball cost and you see why it's so hard to get Eagles on your team, they're the only team with five players going inside the first six rounds of a draft. So there's basically, you can't have any room for error and people want them as one-off targets. Like, I'd be totally fine if I don't have Brown or Hurts. I or Brown or Smith. I'll take Hurts. Maybe stack him later with Goddard. Like I, I feel totally fine with that. So, in order for Hurts and Smith, let's just say that like you went that route at the two three. You have to do that two three turn, right? Isn't that basically where they're going? Yep. You but you need like a twenty five percent advance rate, and it's really hard 
on a site that needs touchdowns from a stack where Jalen Hurts threw what twenty three touchdowns last year, something like that. You're just it's it's asking a lot from from the pair of the stack. That's why I think you and I are very down on Justin Fields, DJ Moore. Uh, on a, it's just you're not going to get the 35, 40 passing touchdowns for the stack. So I like Hertz. He's been lower of the three elite quarterbacks. I have Josh Allen the most. Um, and then I have Lamar a ton, but everybody wants Lamar. Like even if you don't have a Raven, if you don't have Mark Andrews, everybody's going for Lamar. Yep. I've seen that a bunch of my drafts too. Next one from Fad underscore Harvey on Twitter. I'm usually ending my best ball drafts with three quarterbacks, three tight ends, and then six running backs, six wide receivers. Is this too safe of a lineup for an underdog best ball draft? I think it is not safe enough, meaning there's not enough wide receivers, right? We've uh, done a lot of research on this as far oh, as data I see what you did there. of each position you need. And the teams that have the worst advance rate over the last few seasons, and we don't want to zoom in too much on a small sample, but now we have three years in a row where it's like if wide receivers aren't the foundation of your team, meaning you don't have seven plus, most likely, you're behind the eight ball. It's it's harder to advance because you have to start three on underdog. And if you're going in there with only six and you know one of those guys misses a few weeks and the other one loses his starting job and he becomes only a slot guy, like all of a sudden you're struggling to put up points. You're taking a zero some weeks in that lineup and that is just going to kill your advance rate. So I am trying to lean more into seven, eight, sometimes nine wide receiver builds. To me, that seems like what's most optimal. I have done a couple of six wide receiver builds, but it's only in uh, situations where I take one of the elites in round one, you know, I grab another two or three in like rounds three through four. And so I'm leaving with studs and, and I'm like, okay, I'm counting on Justin Jefferson every week. You know, I'm counting on if I take T Higgins every week, you know, those kind of guys. But if you're not spending that draft capital on, on wide receiver, you definitely need more. Yeah. It's interesting. The word safe is tough in best ball because, you know, we'd say it all the time. Like if you're not first, you're last, if you're getting fourth place in this league and you're going for that strategy, it's just not going to work. If you're six wide receivers, if you went zero RB with this approach, Let's just say you went five wide receivers out the gate. It can work. It, it totally can. But I, just looking at data last year and advance rates, six wide receiver teams only had 16.8% playoff advance rate. And they did terrible when they got to the semifinals and the finals. So we would just say overall, if you're playing volume, throw in some lineups this way. It's totally fine uh, to, to have a portfolio approach of this. But in general, uh, if you're doing three quarterbacks, three tight ends, it probably means you don't have a difference maker at either position, right? Like if you're loading up and you have to hit on your five wide receivers if you're going that route. So I generally, my roster construction I like the most is I need two two running backs. I want eight wide receivers, if I'm honest. Like if I can get two quarterbacks, two tight ends, then it opens up me to just load up and get eight, nine wide receivers. So I don't know, I... I I just I found less three quarterback builds viable this year. Um, I kind of I mean I've had both for sure. I think speaking to the tight end thing, we talked a little bit about it already with the Kyle Pitts discussion of the elite tight ends. Uh, you know those guys, there's a case for them, obviously. But right now, and this is kind of a strategy I might change when we get to August. Right now, where we don't have a lot of information and we're going off mini camp and OTAs and and you know guessing as to what might happen. Like these round 18 picks are super fragile. Like 
we don't know if it's Ty Chandler or Dwayne McBride. And there was a report about Kenane Wongwu, right? You know, looking like he might have a chance at the RB two job. People that are so sure that it's definitely going to be Ty Chandler or whoever. Like, if you're burning your picks right now, that's going to be tough to compete with teams in August. So I'm trying to take live players, meaning guys I know have a role in round 17, 18. And one of the viability, you know, of of doing that is the three tight end build because these tight ends, like, they're going to be on the team. They're not getting cut. Like, Kate Otten's going to be out there. Trey McBride's going to be out there. Hunter Henry, uh, he's going to be out there playing a ton. You know, those guys are not going to give you a zero. Tyler Conklin, like, that's kind of where I... I'm leaning into right now the three tight end builds. Yes, I'm totally fine with that. When I look at my last pick and I go, uh, let me find a running back that I know is going to get a ton of like ton of work. It's like, uh, is CH going to even like be mixed in? Malik Davis of the Cowboys is like, I think he's the backup. I don't know. Like the and so they yeah. can sign Leonard Fournette tomorrow and he's irrelevant, right? Like yes. that's the risk you take. Yeah. So those late tight ends. Yeah. So I'm more fine with the three tight end build. Uh, but six wide receivers, a little low for me. Two more questions. We'll be out of here. This one's from sandwich Supreme is bully running back, a legit best ball strategy with how late valuable running backs are getting pushed. We talked earlier about some running backs and running back tiers. We liked bully running back. You can define it a bunch of ways. Sometimes we refer to it as high T or high testosterone approach where you're just saying, <laughs> I had to define that the other day. So you, you made it so clear. Like you enunciated every, every part of the testosterone. word. Um, if you're starting a draft, I'm going to say with at least three running backs, so running back, running back, running back, or you might say four in the first six rounds, that's high T that's saying, let's run the ball, uh, first, second, third down, and then we're going to punt just cause we can <laughs> like, so we're going to try to win this game 10 to three. Yeah. Get like, if we just get three yards, every single play, it's going to be fine. I personally knowing that we only need to start two running backs and I want wide receivers to hit my flex spot on underdog. I tend to, to find that the the wide receivers go so thin. You think you're zigging while everyone else is zagging. But like you mentioned, when Juju is your wide receiver two, you're going to cry. Michael Thomas, your wide receiver two, you're going to be like, how am I going to compete when wide receivers are the position that we want to hit the flex? Yeah, in that scenario, your team's done. I mean, there's no way you can really account for that. Because the old school way of thinking, and I say old school, like back in like 2020, was like, oh, you can just make up for these wide receivers. You just take 10 or 11 of them and you'll just make up for it. But there's been a lot more data over the last couple seasons showing, actually, you know, not so fast. You need not only quantity, you need quality, meaning you need Justin Jefferson's and, and guys that cannot perform their ADP. So that's why wide receivers are getting pushed up the board. But as I kind of talked about in like my best ball uh, preview or kind of like what's changed in 2023 article. I think this is a spot where we should mostly follow the market and, you know, have your player takes, have your kind of stacking rules and stuff that helps guide you as who to pick. But I think passing on wide receivers and just taking three running backs out the gate is not necessarily going to be a, a great strategy this year. Last question. And this is just a guilty pleasure question uh, from Ryan Stern on Twitter. Who is the dynasty 101 in a mighty ducks draft? Bets, I know you'd like to answer that first. Dude, I'm a big Fulton <laughs> Reed guy. Okay. That's that's my dude. You just like you like him as an enforcer. Do you like it when they use him as a decoy? You know, because sometimes it's what they do. He's used for intimidation like before the game in warm-ups, just so that they can pull the Statue of Liberty play later on. Yeah, he's the man. Okay, so I, I gotta run some numbers for this, because that's what that's what people want. I think Adam Banks 
is the easy 101, but but I just want to throw this in there, okay? There's a huge debate in Mighty Ducks world between the film and the documentary. The, you know, actually what happened and, you know, what we can commentate on. It's really hard because if you watch the tape, if you watch the film, watch what's going on. Some goals actually have a different player on the ice than what the announcer says. So that's really hard. Like Adam Banks is given credit twice where he's not the one on film. So what do you personally bets? What do you go with in all of your studies? Do you go with who the announcer says scores the goal or who you see with your own eyes? Uh, you know, I never actually thought about it <laughs> <laughs> because I like to remember my childhood fondly and not, not stress about it. So I'm going to go with whoever the announcer says. Okay. Because that's what it is in the script. But when it came to actually looking at the movie, it's different. So that's my own personal, you know, talk. So I want to throw this out there. Guy Germain technically might be the most talented if you look at like his ice time and his time on film and what he actually does. If you look in D1, guy gets two goals and assists, gets three points. Okay. Originally, when they say who's going to score, who's going to take the penalty shot, they say Guy should take it. But then Gordon says, let's let Charlie finish what he started. So Guy Germain, I think, is is a great one. And then in D2, he has four points, including my favorite goal in the penalty shots at, uh, just for those looking at the documentary, it's at 136.19 if you're tracking at home. Uh, and he puts them up 2-1. <laughs> People need to know, like, this is actually in the doc. Like, Kyle made a spreadsheet there is colors. It is it is outlined. Like he is a sick individual. <laughs> such a sick individual, Kyle, for actually doing this and putting it in the doc. I uh, yeah. Uh, fun fact: the actors that play Fulton Reed and Guy Germain are actually brothers in real life. Oh, I didn't actually know that. Yeah. No. So technically, they're more Bash brothers than anyone else. But anyway, Guy Germain. That's my take. Uh, just from uh, looking at the numbers, running the analytics of uh, Mighty Ducks. Big analytics guy huge i mean gordon bombay he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways in a lot of ways why did he get to coach team usa after winning a peewee league that is a bigger discussion for a different time uh that's going to do it on this episode of dfs embedding podcast bets and i will continue to talk about best ball all summer long we'll do a live draft very soon bets sign us off Yes, sir. Always fun to do a little mailbag episode. And like Kyle said, the Discord channel for uh, DFS, for props, for best ball is popping. So if you are in there, get up in there, ask some questions. And if you're not, the Kelsman Draft Kit, you'll get access when you do. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.